From WGBH in Boston, you're listening to Ground Truth, human stories from the front lines. When the Khmer Rouge took over Cambodia in 1975, the regime carried out a genocide that killed over one and a half million people and specifically targeted nearly all of the country's artists and musicians. Very few survived. But in a strange twist of fate, it was music that saved one Cambodian boy's life. After he came as a refugee to Lowell, Massachusetts, he took up a mission to keep Cambodian music alive in this old industrial city. Across town, a little boy from a newer generation of Cambodian Americans is following a similar passion. I'm Charles Sennett, the founder of Ground Truth. In this season of the Ground Truth podcast, we're telling stories about immigrant musicians, how their music reminds these artists of home and tells stories from their new homes. It's a series we're calling The New American Songbook. We'll encounter two Somali poets on a commuter train, a Haitian rapper trying to make it big, and other stories of music in immigrant communities. Today's episode comes to you in two acts. Act one, a Cambodian-American man and how music saved him from a genocide. Act two, a Cambodian-American boy with a musical dream. Here's reporter Heidi Shin. We're at a one-stop wedding shop in Lowell, Massachusetts. A middle-aged man named Sovan Khan runs the business. It caters to Cambodian-American couples. He shows me the corner where he set up a studio for wedding photos. Oh, there's, there are different backdrops. Angkor yeah. Wat, which, and then what else is there? Uh, millionaire's House. Millionaire's uh, House. A waterfall. And a green screen, too. Yeah, and a green, yeah, green screen, yes. So you can add your own. The weddings take place here in Massachusetts. But their photos can make it seem like they're in Cambodia, halfway around the world, posing at the temple of Angkor Wat and its impressive stone towers. The city outside the wedding shop is a far cry from Cambodia. But Lowell has seen change, too. The textile mills and factories that made the city famous are long gone. It's now home to the second largest Cambodian-American community in the country. Only for the first part, yeah, just for the processional. Stephanie and Ben are a young couple planning their wedding. They decline the photo package, but browse so the neon silk costumes lining the walls. I wouldn't do red. Oh, look how cute this is. She's Cambodian-American, born in the U.S. He's not Cambodian. When I ask where his family's from, he says, California. So, so I'm from the Bay Area. Ben tries on the white silk Cambodian jacket that Savan's wife has picked for him. The sleeves are too short. Stephanie chuckles. I think it's okay if Ben wears a suit. Yeah, it's okay if you want to wear a suit. Stephanie's mom concedes, yeah, it's okay if he wants to wear a Western suit and tie. Fast forward to Saturday, and we're standing outside the bride's childhood home. It's a split-level ranch in a quiet suburb of Boston, just a 20-minute drive from Lowell. I'm surprised to learn it was Stephanie's idea to have a traditional wedding. Growing up in Massachusetts, she'd seen her cousins have house weddings like this. The wedding processional starts on the sidewalk outside. The wedding band leads the way, followed by the groom, carrying a plate of fresh fruit. And then the hundred or so guests walk behind them in a colorful parade. 
curious neighbors watch from across the street. I should note, Sylvain isn't just the wedding planner for the day. He's the videographer and the photographer, and most significantly, he's the lead musician in the wedding band. It's a traditional Cambodian music group. Apart from Sylvain, the band members' fathers were all master musicians in Cambodia. It's called Tape Nyum Band. Tape, that means uh, angel. The band that angel like. <laughs> in the past in Cambodia, weddings took three full days. But now here in the U.S., they last just a single day. Stephanie and Ben have chosen five of the traditional acts, haircutting, knot tying, and a few others. Sivan's favorite part of the wedding is the Bombay. It's a Cambodian lullaby. It's a way of remembering the past, a song his own mother sang to him as a child. But its meaning is lost in most young couples, he says. Usually, if the bride and the groom understand that, they, they would cry. Do most young couples understand what's happening? Uh, well, the, the couple born here, they don't really understand much, a little bit, you know. But I uh, last week, I I played for the wedding, and I, I saw the bride cried, so she must understood. Can we hear some of that song? Oh, you don't want to cry, do you? <laughs> Sylvain tells me that a lot of young couples, they just skip this part. But Sylvain, he can't forget what his mother's done for him. That's when he tells me the story from his past. Well, uh, when I was about uh, eight years old, um, I was interested in music, but uh, uh, we live on a countryside and my parents could not afford to send me to school. So, what I did was I, I made my own drum out of the clay. I went out to the farm and duck the clay and then made the drum shape, make a hole, and then put the plastics um, in the front and then use the, um, the rubber band. And that's how I started to learn to play drum the first time. A few years later, the Khmer Rouge took over in Cambodia and the mass killings began. The militant communist regime came to his village, recruiting young boys. They asked, does anyone here play the drums? He raised his hand. But I, I'm glad I did, because if, if I didn't do that, I would not have a chance to survive. Sovan traveled the countryside playing the drums for the Khmer Rouge. He was part of a musical troupe, forced to play propaganda music. They wore black uniforms and red scarves. They sang songs about dutifully farming the land in labor camps. Under the regime, millions were sent to labor camps, tortured and killed. Three of my, uh, my younger brothers and one of my uh, newborn sister could not make it. They, they died of starvation. So imagine that if I stayed there, I wouldn't make it either. That's why uh, music uh, saved my life, just knowing how to play drum only. One day, when Sovan was sent on an errand for the musical troupe, he escaped. He made his way back to his old village and eventually found his mother. He was 14, 
they hadn't seen each other in three years. I asked him to tell me about this moment. Oh, uh, <laughs> I can't. It just uh, is so emotional. Yeah. So uh, I didn't know where my where my mother was. I didn't know. So my mother was praying to God or to my ancestors. She said, "Oh, please guide my children to me." Um, while she was hiding uh, in the cave, God help. Together, they went to live near his uncle. It was a happy reunion that wouldn't last long. By this time, Suvan had also made himself a stringed instrument called the tro, with horse string and bamboo he'd found along the road. One evening, when he was playing his tro, his uncle panicked. He he took the uh, the tro from my hand and threw it, threw it away. Musicians who played anything other than propaganda. They were targeted and killed during the genocide. And Sovan's uncle feared for their lives. So I was crying. I was crying. I said, why you do that? I said, you know, after this, and uh, after this, we met again, and you did that to me. So uh, uh, my mother saw that. My mother said, we have to move. She knew of her son's love for music that he needed to be in a place where he could make music. So together, they headed for the refugee camps in Thailand by foot. Uh, my mother also helped me carry the drum. Along the border camp, even though there's mines around it, even though pe- uh, de- dead body laying around, she would not let go of the drum. She, she carried it for me. But we made it to the refugee camp. It's called Kawidan Camp. So I stayed there about four years before I got sponsored to the United States. There was a Cambodian master musician at the refugee camp. He had survived the genocide, and he was teaching music lessons. So Zavan signed up. But uh, because the refugee camp still poor, they didn't have enough uh, instruments. So one instrument for ten students. So we had to take turn, right? In more ways than one, Zovan was going against the grain. In Cambodia, to become a master musician, you had to be born into a family of master musicians. The tradition was passed down from father to son, from one generation to the next. But during the genocide, nearly all the musicians were lost. The few who survived, they had to be willing to take on new students who weren't from the right kind of families, or the music would be lost. And that's how Suvan, a farmer's son, got his chance at music. One of the uh, Cambodian master musicians, but um, yeah, I forgot his name. It's been a long time. <laughs> anyway, I, um, you know, I appreciate what he's done. Suvan came to the States as a refugee in the 80s. He married a woman who lived next door in the refugee camps. They have three children, all born here in the States. Two of the kids played clarinet in high school, but none really took an interest in Cambodian music. In fact, they don't know much about their parents' past. We told them briefly how we escaped, not in detail like this. Do you think, are they interested in knowing? I don't know. I don't know if they're interested. 
I can try someday. For Sovan, it's easier to play music than it is to talk about his past. He set his sights on finding a protege to start a new line of Cambodian master musicians. He teaches Cambodian music classes at the university in town, but there aren't any Cambodian Americans in his class. And teaching music, it isn't the only reason he's there. He also hopes to find a husband for one of his daughters. Do you ever try to set them up with musicians you know? I try. I try. It didn't work out. <laughs> Actually, I, I wish that one of my daughters um, get married with one of my students. Yeah, who, who learned music for me. Savan just wants a son-in-law who plays Cambodian music. It doesn't even matter if he's actually Cambodian. So you can come to join my band, too. <laughs> but then I cannot push them, you know, hey, you have to get married musician. I cannot tell them what to do, of course, in this, especially in this country. Yeah, let, let them have their own choice. It's the American way, he tells me, as he puts his trow his stringed instrument back into its case. It can be hard to keep these instruments tuned during Boston's cold and dry winters, he says. The wood from the trees in tropical Southeast Asia, it's prone to cracking in harsher weather. But still, it survives. at a public elementary school, there's a music teacher named Rita McLaughlin. She's the kind of teacher who gets high fives and hugs from her students in the hallway. And they call her the Pied Piper, the way the kids follow her around. Nine-year-old Maddox bounds into her classroom every morning. He visits before the first bell rings. Ms. McLaughlin is not only his music teacher, she's also his personal online shopper. Um, I search it up on Google and I give her um, the money and I just tell her um, where to find it at and um, she just finds it and orders it. I ordered a little Buddha from all the way from Thailand and it took six weeks to order. It was $4.15 and it came in like every day for a while. Did it come yet? Did it come yet? So funny. But it finally did. So that was the first one and then the statue for his grandmother. <laughs> Another days, it's been the Cambodian flag or other trinkets from the other side of the world. No, Maddox has never been to Cambodia. His grandparents were born there and came to the States as refugees in the 1980s. About half the students at the school come from Cambodian-American families. But Ms. McLaughlin, she's Irish-American. And she wanted her students to know where their families had come from. So she traveled to Cambodia and studied under a master musician. So when you're playing, da 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 da, wait, bum bum, Lena, see it, da 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 da, bum bum. Yeah, you're rushing that. You're going bum 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 bum. Now in Lowell, Massachusetts, she teaches Cambodian American kids like Maddox how to play instruments like the binbiat, which are like Cambodian xylophones. Because not only have you worked hard, but you've worked hard over time, and we know that that means persevere. What happens when you persevere in your work? You um, keep trying, and then you get it. And I think you've gotten it. You've done it. Yes. And as it turns out, nine-year-old Maddox is an unusually gifted student, especially when it comes to the dances that accompany the live music. Dances like the monkey dance and the blessing dance. 
He demonstrates. Oh my gosh, you're putting your foot behind your neck. Neck, And what were you doing with your hands? I was like putting them together and it like, it flexes and it doesn't hurt at all. Okay, you're sort of like putting putting them like in a prayer position and turning them almost inside out. Yeah. Wow, you're really flexible. Maddox's biggest fan when it comes to Cambodian dancing is his grandmother. Her name is Lichia, or as Maddox likes to call her, Lichi. And yes, Maddox tells me, she's just as sweet as the fruit. Who I'm sitting next to is my grandmother. Hi. My junk say hi. Hi. <laughs> How old is your grandmother? Uh, 57 now. 57 years old. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Here, I'm gonna Maddox go lives in a one-bedroom apartment with his grandparents, his mom, and his three brothers, plus an aunt and uncle and their baby. The work badges hanging at the door read the names of the factories where the adults work, manning the assembly lines. The day I visit, his grandmother sits on the floor with a cutting board, chopping leafy greens and spices for a Cambodian stew. His brothers play video games in the bedroom, and they won't eat the stew and ask for instant noodles instead. But Maddox, he likes Cambodian food. He picks up the TV remote and searches for Cambodian music videos. He fashions himself a traditional costume using bedsheets and blankets and practices his dance moves in front of the TV. He and his grandmother, they've been listening to Cambodian music together on YouTube for years, even before he started school. When I was four years old, my grandma, she put on the music on her, um, on her own radio, and I started listening to it. And after that, I told her, I like the music that you put on for me. And then after that, she was really happy because um, she loved how the way I danced. How old were you? I was like four. It was like the Apsara dance. His grandmother beams whenever Maddox dances. She smiles so widely, the corners of her eyes wrinkle. She looks over from time to time as she stirs the bubbling soup. His mother, on the other hand, has some questions about his dancing. She works night shifts, so we only see her briefly before she heads off to work. I mean, I, I don't mind, you know what I mean? But yeah. it's just because majority dancer, I know they won't let him dance the, um, the blessing dance or the Apsara dance. I know they won't put him because those are all females. And he's not a girl, so I don't think they're going to have him do all that. Traditionally, some of these dances were performed by girls in Cambodia. It surprises his mom that Maddox is so into them. But she's supportive. Behind Maddox, the windowsill is lined with potted plants and rows of prescription medicines. The sun shines through the rows of orange bottles, like a kind of art project. What are these over here? Um, those are my grandma's medicines that she takes. The big bottle she um, she takes for naps. The white bottle right there, she um, that's her allergy. So whenever she goes somewhere, she has to take. That. There are too many containers to count. Lichi's not sure what's wrong with her. She asks me to read the labels and explain, but I can't decipher them either. What we do know is this: around 3 p.m. each day, she starts to feel dizzy and needs to lie down. And sometimes she starts to cry. And then whenever she came, she would always cry. She was like, help me, help me. She wants to scream for her mom and dad, but they're like, they passed away. So I feel bad for her. Like just when she's awake or when she's sleeping? When she's awake, she, um, she cries. 
because she doesn't know what's going to happen to her life. So I give her her medicine, she takes it, and then she kind of feels better. But in the afternoon, it, um, <clears throat> it bothers her again. So These are classic symptoms of PTSD. Later, Lichi tells me she has nightmares when she sleeps about the day the Khmer Rouge came for her parents and took them away. She was just a teenager then. Maddox often goes with his grandmother to her doctor's visits so he can help translate. But he's just a kid, and so he doesn't always understand what's going on. He uses an app to translate the words he doesn't know in Cambodian. He pulls out his phone to show me, pecking away at the keys. What are some of the Cambodian words that you learned using the app? I learned, like, um, how to say um, love in Cambodian. It's like strelang. And I learned how to say kick in its thought. And I know how to um, We meet say, again a few um, days later outside Maddox's school, where his grandmother waits to pick him up. Typically around this time, she's in pain. But in this particular day, she's feeling better. She's excited about being interviewed. Yeah. Like sometimes um, when she comes pick me up from school, she she's like she she can't like walk. She's like limping. And then after that, when I saw her today, she was standing up straight, and I was happy. Oh, that's so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was proud to see her like like feeling better. <laughs> On the way home, I decide to tell Maddox something I learned earlier in the day. It's some pretty surprising news. As it turns out. Maddox isn't the only dancer in his family. His great-grandfather? He was a famous dancer for an opera troupe in Cambodia. And his grandmother, Lichi? She was a dancer, too. He dances? Ma Ram? Ma Ram, that would be you. Wow. So heavy. I take care of her, and she dances. I'm like, I feel so happy that she's like me when she was little. He loves you so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, he's happy. <laughs> we move to a quiet place so they can talk. This is the first time Maddox hears his grandmother's story, but they struggle to communicate because of the language. How do you feel? How do like Ma feel like when okay. when Ma rum and Yum rum? Dang tai yang wat dang. I can I don't really understand. <laughs> you don't really understand. <laughs> oh, what 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 are you trying to ask her? I'm trying to ask her that um how she um like felt like um for her dancing and me dancing. Oh, like how does she feel when she sees you dance? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ma Ma Ma. Ma, when you rum, how do Ma feel like? Ma feel like, ma, yeah. like she feels happy. <laughs> it's clear there's more that both sides want to say, but they don't have the words they need. Anything else you want to ask her? No. <laughs> Later, Lichi tells me that her father, the opera troupe dancer, he died in one of the labor camps in Cambodia. She was taken in by a foster family, and her new father... He forbid her from dancing. Lichi told me another story. 
One summer, they took Maddox camping to a campsite filled with Cambodian-American families. As the sun set, they started a bonfire and played Cambodian classics on the iPad. Maddox stood up and began dancing. His figure was silhouetted by the fire. They were all cheering and clapping, and I just felt so happy. That was the, like, it was like my most wonderful time of life. I heard there's a campfire. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> it was like, I was dancing all around it. Mm-hmm. You know what people said about you? Well, I know my um, my dad's friend, Jim, they were like, yay. Because he was so unusually talented, the elders at the campsite thought Maddox had been reincarnated, that he might be an artist or a musician lost to Cambodia's genocide, who had come back in the form of a nine-year-old boy. Back at Maddox's house, the walls are lined with photos from family vacations, trips to national parks across America, it surprises me how young Lichi looks in these photos. I'm reminded she was just a young woman when she came to the States as a refugee and raised her own kids, and now grandkids, in Lowell, Massachusetts. There are also photos of Lichi's brother, photos from before and after his legs were amputated by a landmine in Cambodia. The photos sit beside two naturalization certificates, showing the date when Lichi and her husband became U.S. citizens. At night, Maddox, Lichi, and his grandfather, they sleep side by side on a foam mattress on the living room floor. His grandfather holds the iPad in his hands and plays their favorite song by an artist who seems beloved by all the Cambodians I meet. The musician's name is Sin Sisamut. He was young and handsome back in the 1970s. Girls swooned over him in the clubs. Maddox's grandparents were just teenagers back then. Lichi sheepishly wipes a tear with the back of her hand as she's reminded of his death. Maddox's grandparents fall asleep to the song nearly every night. After they're asleep, Maddox gently takes the iPad from his grandfather's hands, turns it off, and sets it aside so the songs won't keep repeating throughout the night. As for Maddox, when he sleeps, he says he often dreams of Ms. McLaughlin, his favorite music teacher. She's a nice person. She um, she makes my day. Like, she's always in my heart. Like, whenever I dream of her, she would always wave in my dream, and then after that, I would always smile. I had a dream of her teaching me how to play drums. I just saw myself, like, she taught me, and then after that, she's like, there you go, you're getting the hang of it. Once, he was smiling so much in his dreams, his grandmother woke him to ask him why. She woke me up, she was like, hey, why are you smiling? I'm like, I had a happy dream. And after that, I told her all about it. Maddox's grandmother was delighted to hear that he dreamt about drumming and dancing. She encouraged him to get back to sleep, to see if he could find that dream again. 
a dream their family had once lost, but now feels within reach once again. That was Heidi Shin reporting. This episode was edited and produced by Rachel Rohr, Heidi Shin, and Ian Koss, with additional help from Kainat Khan and Marilyn Halter. Special thanks to Alan Williams, Linda Supyep-Su, Robin Moore, and Donna Cady. Thanks also to Phil Rado, Bob Kempf, John Ryan, and Doug Schugertz at WGBH. Funding for this project comes from Mass Humanities. I'm Charles Sennett, the executive editor. We'll be back in two weeks with the next episode of the New American Songbook on Ground Truth.